the Shockers of a Podcast. It is, as always, excellent to have you along with us. I'm joined by Stu. <laughs> hey! <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hi, been Joel. A, been a few Hi, weeks. everyone. It's been a few weeks. I know. Been it's kind of like I've been, been missing been, in action. I think you've been a bit busy. I've been busy. Which is fine. Uh, but uh, we were just just before we were about to recording. I said, "Have you been watching Slow Horses?" Yes, and you said yes. And I've brought this up before. I remember, I think it was way back at the start of this year where I watched the first two seasons. Yes, I talked to Ethan about it. Uh-huh. I think it could be my favorite TV show for the last from the last five years. I hundred percent agree. Yeah, so it's on Apple TV. Yep, we should let people know it's about a place in. The London called Slough House, which is where the rejects from MI5 go after they stuff up in an operation. And it's run by a guy, an old MI5 guy called Jackson Lamb. And he it's played by Gary Oldman and he's a dirtbag. <laughs> he's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he's hilarious. But uh, great storytelling, I think. But also my favourite part is the way it's shot. I think it's beautifully yeah, shot. It's, it's awesome really shot. Yeah. What's your reaction to yeah it. well i love all that spy agency stuff Me like too. mi5 is cool i yeah. love all that uh i've got a theory about the show please i'm the only person that i know of that thinks this but i actually think what the idea of slow slow house slow house well, help me if i'm wrong yeah go if you're in mi5 yep. and you do something wrong but it's not as not bad enough to get rid of you they put you in slow house yes and then you're kind of like seen as like you can deal with all the lower contending issues because you're not important enough to be part of the main game right yep. so they've got these all real professional spies and agents or whatever they are in the big one what's that called oh, i forget what yeah. it's oh, called they, something they call it um the park the park that's what they call so it, if yeah. you're in the park like you're a full tilt spy have you seen the mi5 that park the building no it's an ugly monstrosity on the thames oh that one yeah that's actually the where that's James where Bond's it's always at yeah, right. Are they part of James Bond crew? Yeah, MI5. I thought that was MI6. Oh, MIBM. But I think they're in the same building. Anyway, this is so much stuff that you can go away and research. <laughs> go knock yourself out. Find out about MI5, MI6, the building. But anyway, this is my theory. Yes. So Slough House is meant for the rejects of MI5. I actually think that's a cover. And I think Slough House is actually running MI5. Wow. Yes. You think like that will come out in later seasons? I don't know, but that's what I reckon. Tell you what. Because each of the episodes, they are the ones who crack the problem Mm. and they're the ones that make the park look like they don't know what they're doing. And then they solve it at the end. And nobody expects them to solve it because they think they're the rejects and all the enemies of the state don't even give them any notice. So they go undercover and they're under the radar. So I think they're the undercover version of the MI5. That's my theory. Are you listening, slow horses riders? (laughs) If I was a writer, I would write that into the thing. Think about it. Do yourself a favour. But is it like, it, I don't know why, I love really good TV, as you know, we've said before on this podcast, but this one is just like, oh, I can't get it's enough It's good, it. I can't stop watching it. I'm frustrated yeah. that it's only coming out every Wednesday at the moment. Because yes. it's that, it's that it's recent. It's good, it's like what used to be in the old days. Yes, it is. We used to go to school and go, oh, did you watch Magnum last night? I wonder what's going to happen next week. Well, like Magnum P.I. I love Magnum P.I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, so here's the other thing I've been doing as well as watching slow horse, slow slough, slow horses, slow horses is at slow slough house. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. So I also watch. I'm also watching the back catalogue of Magnum PI, <laughs> okay. Battlestar Galactica, 1977. Wow. And I'm watching old Doctor Who's from the 1970s, 
1980s actually, which is my era. And what I do is I watch one of those a night and then I watch it again the next week. So I'm back in my rhythm I used to be in when I was a kid. Oh, so I'd really? have to, I'd have to wait a week to find out what happens. What is there a reason you're doing that? I just thought I'd do okay. it for fun. I've only got time to watch one show a day. I was going to say, you're listing all these shows. I'm like, no wonder you're busy because you're watching them too many. <laughs> no, I watch one a day. So they're about half hour or yeah. so or an yeah. hour. And I watch the the things like the modern stuff with Lou. She doesn't want to watch Magnum PI. Right. Great show. Is that Tom Selleck? I love that show. Why? Why do you <sighs> like it? It just looks – is it in Miami? It's in Hawaii. Oh, Hawaii. It's so good. <laughs> it's such a good show. Yep. He is like a, neck, a Vietnam vet with a cool moustache mm. and the whole thing is he's trying to deal with his past and he's trying to solve crimes. It's just cool. And he's got the coolest car in the history of the world after the VW Combi. What's he rocking? Is it he's a, rocking a, a, Ferrari. a Ferrari. I, I don't know the actual – it's Two, 1984, I think. 250? I'd have to check You'd that know it. But oh, there's a quintessential that. scene where he does this little skid and burn out and then drives onto the road oh, after nice. he gives the camera a bit of a wink. Well, not a GTO. That's not, not a 250. I know it's GTO. a bit old. It's it hasn't old. aged well. Some of some of the episodes are a bit clunky, but I actually think it's really interesting. Good fun show. I'm just trying to look it up. No, I'm, I'm not getting the right, uh, the right Ferrari. In the 80s, that. there was this thing about planes and jets and helicopters. Almost every TV show had them in it. Oh, so really? part of the fun of it is there's just like heaps of helicopter action and, and it's it's actually there's a massive bromance going on between the three friends. Is it? Yeah, there's a guy who owns a club, a guy who's a helicopter pilot and Magnum PI. And even he's staying at this rich man's resort house to kind of be security and the guy who runs the house doesn't like him but they kind of do like each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's some elements of it that haven't weighed, ate, aged well but it's a good show. It's fun. I think the Ferrari is a 308 GTS. Oh, there you go. Isn't it a Quattro beautiful car? Valvoli. Quattro Valvoli. How much would they be now? Oh, and that's got to be surely at over 500 grand, maybe. Oh, they're beautiful Depends cars. on which Ferrari it is. I it's think. ones with the lights that pop up. You yeah, know those ones? that's very 80s too, isn't it? It is, I love pop it. Pop-up yeah, lights. it's pretty 80s. There's a lot of cars from the 80s. A lot of, the, lot of that. Pop-up lights. Yeah. I don't like many things from the 80s. But there's lots of cars that I love from the Yeah, areas. right. There you go. My That's favourite cool. car, BMW E30 M3. Okay. You know the real boxy Yep, I do actually. BMW? Yeah. That's one of my favourite cars ever. Yeah, I like them too. It's the first car that I was like, that's a car I love. Okay. When I was a kid. That's cool. Yeah. There you go. There you go. You said you've been busy. Yes. You've been doing many things. One thing though is that you took a trip last week to Barwarana. Yes. What was that for? Carol's, wasn't it? Yeah, so I was asked to speak at the Carol service at Brewarrina, and Brewarrina is 12 hours drive northwest. It's almost at the the New South Wales-Queensland border. Mm. Uh, it's just shy of Burke, and it's north of Dubbo, so if you've got that in your head. So Brewarrina, uh, we've had a long-term relationship with Brewarrina, with uh, Pastor Isaac and Eileen Gordon, and they've been running a Christian ministry there that's terrific. We've been friends with them for 25 years. Or maybe not 25, maybe 20 years. And, yeah, we, we, we had a really good weekend. And what's really exciting is I've got some stuff I can share about some of the new ministry ideas they've got there and what they're doing out west, which is really good. Oh, first of all, the carols were fun, though. It was hot. Heaps, no, I it was that. heaps hot. It was nearly 50 degrees. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, it was like 42 here in Sydney around that. Yeah, right. So it would have been even hotter out there, right? Bit hotter, yeah. So just by four degrees, something like that. 
<laughs> that's still I feel like any time you're over 40 like one degrees is going to make a real that's difference a how hot it is it's a good point yeah Anyway, so they did the carols at the race course and they killed eight brown snakes before they thought it was safe enough to bring everyone That's in nice. from the horse stalls. <laughs> so there's all these kids running around and they're saying, put signs up, oh, I probably don't go in those horse stalls, kids, because we don't know if we've got all the snakes. So that was pretty full on. <laughs> and then they had carols, they had Santa come and they had a Grinch who was there too, which was pretty funny. Uh, Grinch was running around and they did all these activities for the kids. So it was probably... I reckon probably two or three hundred Aboriginal people went to the carols, which was really exciting. Yeah. And the Josiah Healing Centre Church, which Isaac runs, was the main driver of the whole thing. Uh, they also had fireworks that was amazing. It was like Sydney Harbour fireworks. Really? No, not quite as big as that, but it was massive. It was good. You felt like you were in Sydney Harbour? Yep. That's how massive well, it was. No, it was. It was in between... I don't know, something in Sydney Harbour. Um, another city that doesn't do fireworks as good as Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe like London or I went New to, York. I was in Paris for a New Year's Eve and I was very disappointed. Okay. With the, uh, they just like kind of, we thought they would like, might do fireworks off the Eiffel Tower or something. And just like this large ball just came down a little bit and that was it. And it was like, yay, happy New Year. Yeah, I don't think people do fi- do New Year's Eve like we do, mm. and fireworks in Sydney. Sydney's pretty good. Always Have you ever been down the Opera House for fireworks on yes. New Year's Eve, and they fall down on top of you? It's pretty cool. Oh, do they? Well, I've been for down the at House. the Opera House, and they it looks like they're falling on you. Really? But they don't. They're a long way away, but it looks like that. I think one of the times I was actually on the north side, but closer to the Harbour Bridge. Yep. That was pretty cool, so you okay. could see the, the yeah, Opera House yeah, and then... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. They always blow up the Harbour Bridge. <laughs> it looks like it's it's gone every they time. They do. They do. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So anyway, so we had yeah, we had carols. That was good. <laughs> yep, cool. And was it good to see catch up with people up there? Yeah, it was unreal. So the next day we had a baptism. So Jason Bakuya's son Penny got baptized mm. down at the river. Awesome. And that was pretty cool. And I I was asked to speak at that, which was good. And then we went back for a church service, and then we had another church service in the evening. Uh, so I'm just real excited to see, I don't know what our listeners and our viewers are thinking, but I think there's a lot of stuff out in the Christian world talking about church on a bigger scale, but a lot of the reality of church is on a smaller scale. And I was really heartwarmed to see a church that's um, on a small scale active in its community, a church that's thriving and sustainable, but it's not even over 50 people and it's just working and there are families that are helping the community. I mean, they, they work with an organisation called Hands and Feet to uh, distribute food to the community and clothes and things like that. So they're doing practical help to the community. Mm. They're behind the, the carols. Uh, the mayor of the town um, is going to the church now at Isaac's Church and she's, um, uh, she's a, a lady who is also part of the Anglican church out there. So we could talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I, I'm, I was just came home convicted that I wonder if we need more discussions and considerations and thoughts about how to really invest in smaller church contexts and how to help those contexts thrive. I think that's really important. 
And like kind of the grassroots level. Yeah, you've grassroots. been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, I have. Moment, yeah, I have. Yeah. That's really yeah, interesting. Before we get on to that, though, yep. you said there were some good ideas, good and thoughts and ideas for the future of what's going on in northwestern New South Wales. So the great thing there is, is it's this, Isaac is a terrific networker. So he's networked with the uh, with the local Christian school, Brawarana Christian School, and through his friendship with a school in Gosford, they've uh, got that school going. He's also working with the community he's got on council so there's there's just a lot of uh, integrated things that are happening in the town but the town's only about 2500 people and it's very isolated and it's a long way away from anywhere but it's a beautiful town and it's right on the river and the river the barwon river the section where brawarn is on there's uh some traditional fish traps and the archaeologists have predated those fish traps to be before the pyramids so they're very old human-made structures. And these fish traps are basically rock pools that have been made so that as fish swim upstream, they collect different sizes in different pools. They have, oh, okay. they have breeding pens. They have ways of letting the fish out, ways of stopping them going. They have harvesting pens. Also, It's just really intricate farming of fish from the river. So that, that's been around for a while. And because those fish traps were there, traditionally Brewarana was a place of corroboree. So the Niambar and the Wiriji people would gather at Brewarana, thousands of people, to, to um, do corroboree. Now, after corroboree, after white settlement, uh, they started missions in a lot of the towns. And after the missions closed down, then the Aboriginal people from all the towns started to meet together in what they call river conventions. And the river conventions was a Christian version of corroboree. So they'd travel around town to town and they'd meet to keep the Christian church alive across the whole northwest. So towns like Brewarana, Gaduga, Lightning Ridge, Burke, Brewarana, Gil- Gilgandra, <coughs> excuse me, Gilgandra, um, uh, Walgett, all these towns have Christian churches that are all quite small. But once a year they do a river convention around Easter and they do two weeks they visit all the towns. And it's a fantastic way to minister to each other. And so we've been part of that for a long time mm. as well. And Isaac is the main, the main driver of that, yep. right? Yeah, So what we've been doing recently is uh, Isaac's been saying that it'd be unreal if uh, more um, uh, Anglo people came to stuff like River Convention and the carols and stuff. So we've noticed that um, in talking to the Bishop of Bathurst, because the Anglican Church in Brewarren is part of the Bathurst Diocese, Mark Calder, the Bath, uh, Bishop of Bath, Bathurst, he put out a Facebook post last year or the year before saying that there's about 13 churches in his diocese that don't have senior ministers or any right. ministers running them. So we reached out and said, look, we're already friends with the crew at Brewarrina. What could we do to partner with Brewarrina Anglican Church as well as the Aboriginal church in town? And so Mark's been very generous and kind and introduced us to some of the lay readers who are, and some of the people who are preaching in those towns. But he introduced us to a lady called Vivian from uh, Brewarrina, who's the mayor, and she and one other friend are pretty much the only people left in that church. So on the weekend, we talked to them about, we'll talk to Vivian about what would it look like if we, not going every week, but if we start doing some regular services and a regular number of times a term, might that help to also add another ingredient to the town to have a bit more... Uh, networking that would help the church uh, to get even more traction in the town. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And 
I mean, it's, it's, it's always funny. You're always pushing us further and further forward as a senior pastor. How, how do you envision that working? Um, well, I'm already going up to Brewarrina two or three times a year. So I'm thinking if I go up four times a year, then there might be a couple of other. Uh, we've currently got 18 preachers at Solis, including paid and unpaid preachers. So my thought has always been how can we then share what we've got with other churches? Mm. So we're going to basically pitch it to our preachers. Is anyone interested in going to Bree? And then after we work out how many people are willing to go to Bree in a year, then we could hopefully say to the town, hey, we could we could do this many services for you. But at the moment, there's no services at all. So mm. that would be better than nothing. Even something at Easter and Christmas would be better than nothing. And because those services have been done in a town with Isaac's church that's running every week, we could partner with the t- that church and see if we can get something going for Anglican people mm. out there too. That's and the if, idea. And if there's any pilots listening... Oh, <laughs> I'd love to, someone to, to fly, fly me up, up 100%. That'd save a lot of time. Anyway. <laughs> it takes me 12 hours to drive to Brawarana, so It would be a flight, like three and a half. I don't know. It? I've thought about it. Yeah, three and a half, four maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think the flight to Alice Springs, for example, is three and a half hours <coughs> or four hours. Oh, so okay. Well, it'd be closer than that. Actually, it'd be closer than that because it's like five hours to Perth. Is that really? Yeah. I thought it was eight hours to Perth. No, it's not that long. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, there you go. I've never been. I haven't been to Perth. Never. Oh. Have you been to Perth? Uh, yes, mainly for rallying. Rallying? Yeah. There you go. Because I used to have the World Rally Championship yep. around over there. Yeah. I've also been there for things we used to do with my family. Anyway, that's, <laughs> that's enough about me. <laughs> uh, so it's cool to talk about that future stuff yeah. in Bawarana. Yeah, but yeah. But also, let's talk about future stuff for Soul Revival. Yes. Because... You have finished the first chapter of your PhD. Yeah, yeah, it's still a bit rough, and I'm trying to make it first make it a bit better. Yep, first draft. Yeah. So I'm hoping to like do a chapter or a term next year. That's what I'm hoping yeah. to do. So this chapter is setting up the PhD pretty well. But one of the things that I'm doing is engaging. Well, the, the PhD is looking at uh, the problem for churches. Why are why are why is the church struggling with cultural change? Yeah. So that's kind of the problem I set up. And then the research question I've got is how can youth ministry operate as a shock of, a cultural shock absorber for the church to help the church to adapt to cultural change? Mm-hmm. So how does youth mm-hmm. and adults work together in the context of local church, which is what this whole podcast is about. Yeah, definitely. We look at it from different angles. But what's been really cool with this chapter is I've dug deeper into Andy Crouch's work, which we've talked about on the podcast before, and – just looking at what postures the church has is a really interesting question. So I'm really interested for our viewers and listeners to to be able to also think about, yeah, what posture do I have as an individual and what postures do we have as a church to cultural change? Because that can affect how successful you are to adapting to cultural change. Mm. Is it? I don't know if I've asked you this question on the podcast. Why did you want to write the PhD? Because it's a it's a lot of work. Mm, it <laughs> as is, you, as you well know. Well, I I think I well okay. So going back to the dark ages, when dinosaurs still walked the earth in the late nineteen eighties. That's not. I well, started. <laughs> all those things are all wrong. <laughs> there were dinosaurs in the dark ages. You're not that old. And the nineteen eighties was. I like while to ago. think I am. I like to think I am. Anyway, so I love the eighties. 
Yeah, anyway, as you can tell by my viewing habits, <laughs> I might actually suggest episodes. If people don't want to watch the whole thing, I might. There is one particular episode where Magnum has the most spectacular Hawaiian shirt that I've ever seen. I'll wow. get that clip for you and I'll. I'll give it to Joel. <laughs> put it in the show notes. Anyway, coming back to the 80s. So to answer your question, I started doing a degree in political science yeah. in an arts degree at Sydney University and then I graduated with honours. So they said, do you want to do a PhD? And I went, okay. So I started the PhD and then I thought I'd do sole revival as a case study for my PhD to see if we could do youth ministry in a different way. And it went so big that my supervisor said, you should either write about Mother Teresa or be Mother Teresa. You can't do both. Mm. So I thought, okay, I'll be Mother Teresa. So some of our listeners might not know who she is because she died a long time oh, you ago. You look a lot like her. I try to. <laughs> Short little <laughs> nun who lives in India. Yeah, that's right. I think it was India somewhere. Yeah, anyway, so, India, so I started that and, and then I put it, put it aside for 30, 20 years. 30 years, 30 years I put it aside. Yeah. And then I've, I've always thought to myself, I'll do it again. And then I was at a particular youth ministry conference and a man called Darren Cronshaw approached me and said, have you ever thought of doing that as a PhD? And I went, yes. So then I joined and started it. But it's been a slow burn, but I'm all of a sudden clicked into it and I'm writing every day now. So really? I, yeah, I want to punch it out. I really love it. It's really fun. It's like a hobby. <laughs> okay. What appeals to you about doing it like that academic work because i don't i don't know, I don't know if i want to do that it's a good question i don't know it's really cool it's like painting is it it is like it's very you, meditative creative yeah it's creative it's like do i put this color on that rock or do i put that color on that wave do i hmm. put a tree there or do i put a bush there it's a bit like that it's cre very creative so well that's fascinating yeah i really like writing i write i like writing because i like oh do i go down that rabbit hole or that rabbit hole problem is that i have too many ideas so <laughs> My supervisors are trying to say, squash it down. Yeah. So, And you've also said to me that there is a lot to come out. You think there's a lot to come out? I think out so of the for next year. Yeah, I think it's a lot of practical stuff. Do you want to give us a That's sneak peek? That's the other reason why I'm doing it. So I think the sneak peek is, I think, uh, actually, you know, it's one thing to say that young people help the church to adapt to cultural change, but how do they do it? What's, what's the mechanism? What, what helps churches to do it? And... When do churches miss out on that mechanism? Also, what happens if you don't have any young people in your church yeah. or if you don't have many young people in your church? How does how do you start from nothing and go from scratch? So at Solis, we've gone from scratch twice. So we started with four kids in 91 and then that did grow. God bless that. And then in 2010, we started with 30 people, but we only had one kid in our youth group and then we started with one kid. So I think there's some stuff in there I'm trying to investigate What's that? Now, numbers is not the only me healthy metric of a church. However, I think that if we're as a church discipling and on mission, then we want to see more people come into the kingdom. If God brings them into the kingdom, that'd be really cool. So I think we've got to do the best we can to partner with, with the Lord in that. Yeah. Mm. Do you, what do you think gets in the way or stops uh, young people being that shock absorber or actually allows yeah the young people i think that's a good question i think it starts with the adults and their posture towards culture so if the adults are oh, i'm old i like things the way i like it and i don't want to hear new ideas isn't that the that's never not going to that's not going to go anywhere. Anywhere. story of culture it is it's pretty pretty ubiquitous not just within the church but within a lot of social frameworks a lot of cultures people like me at my age at 55 go well i've 
earn my straps i had to spend years and years and years being told what to do but now i'm in charge and now it's my turn there's a bit of that as you get mm, older whereas i don't want to feel like that i actually want to say how could i be a servant and a shepherd to younger people and help raise them up so how do i listen to their ideas and actually strengthen them rather than tell them to be like me and expect them to copy me without any authority just to do that so i think yeah i think it starts with the adults so for example i'm in a church with say say i'm in a church with majority of retirees how could i possibly get the shock observer working well one thing could be for the church to go is there another local church around here that we could partner with to work with them as well and what would that look like i don't know but could we offer to help another church with something and also ask that other church to become friends and once we became friends is there anything we could do together and i don't know see where it goes so i really believe in uh, iterative design and just because in the past things haven't worked doesn't mean that has to happen in the future so networking is one option another option is uh, you know as a local school maybe we could offer some after school care let's do safe ministry training let's uh, do something on a friday afternoon for kids in primary school and start there that's another way of getting to have proximity with younger people for example so there's plenty the other thing too i reckon is in any church there are younger and older people and the question is no matter how old you are you might the youngest people might be in their 40s but are the people in their 70s listening to the people in their 40s and are the people in their 40s wanting to engage in in relationship so i've been super inspired by uh the concept of friendship in the church and part of my phd for next year and the podcast for next year is exploring an ecclesiology of friendship Mm -hmm. and a theology of friendship and does that give us any extra help too because in our culture we often think that you have to be friends with people who are the same age as you but you can be friends with older people and you can be friends with younger people that actually opens up a whole horizon of possibilities for ministry when you start thinking like that yeah and again like you said the shockers over is the young people are at the coalface of cultural yep. change and yep. they bring that into the church yep. but then if you've got even the retirees that you're talking about yeah. earlier they've got all yeah. the biblical wisdom and experience yeah. of being a christian that's for right so long yeah that there is yeah there's a there's a lot in that as yeah. we've learned over yeah. many yeah. years so for example older people might like traditional services that's cool keep doing a traditional service but maybe start a saturday night service as well and invite your family to come to it and have mm. a barbecue. Food is a really good thing to start doing. Mm. Um, there's TV shows now like uh, Old Person's Home for Four-Year-Olds or Old Person's Home for Teenagers. So our broader culture is also exploring intergenerational relationships. So what can we do in that space? Now, the other thing in the podcast for next year that we're going to explore is we've talked a lot about the fact that there's a homogeneous unit principal church where people break their church services into age groups and different age groups go to different things but there's also the intergenerational church and i think as i've been researching this term i think sorrow revival is what i would like to call a moderate intergenerational church so it does have some age specific things in it as well as talked about that before yeah intergenerational yeah so i think there's a lot more to explore and what is a moderate intergenerational church so that would be a really interesting thing to hear and about. that's the kind of uh, maybe a sliding scale that you're perhaps talking about and tim's talked about before is the intergenerational sometimes means 
children and youth are part of everything and yeah. everything that we do. Yeah. But yeah. We, you're saying moderate because we kind of they yeah. have, we create spaces for them as well as being yeah. intergenerational. Well, there's a really interesting paradigm within intergenerational ministry, which is looking at the way the intergenerational aspect works. And what's interesting is, do you have a bottom-up or a top-down approach to young people? Is it a top-down, the older people are teaching the young people? Or is the bottom-up, hey, no, we really need the young people to lead us in the integrated process of that? Well, I think Soul Revival has a bit of both. Yep. Because the other thing is, there's a thinker called Kenda Creasy-Dean, and she has said that where there is a context where young people are segregated from the rest of the church, which is definitely something that we don't try and segregate our young people from the rest of the church but she says when they are worshipping separate to the church at some stages that's where they come up with experiments so my fear is number one in the homogeneous unit principal church where are the spaces to bring young people together with old people and in the intergenerational space where are the places where young people are left alone to come up with new ideas so I'm really excited about trying to have a top-down and a bottom-up approach. And that's why you're saying moderate's in kind yeah, of in between. moderate inter- intergenerational. That's yeah. kind of funny because we, I mean, in a lot of things we do as a church, we don't think we hold the middle line a lot of the time, but yeah. in that sense that we're making yeah, I think we, we do. do. Yeah, I think we do. Hmm. I think I'm a bit of a centrist, centrist generally. I like to think I am anyway. <laughs> but often I think the extremes miss something. They, they lose something yeah. or they get baggage sometimes when it's not necessary. So I don't like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. So if young people are with adults all the time, sounds good, but where do they get to do crazy stuff and fun stuff and new stuff? Because it could get squashed by the oldies too quickly. So they experiment with something, but then can have a conversation about that with the older people. That's what we need to build in the church. And I think the theology of friendship is going to help us to integrate that because you talk to your friends about fun stuff. Right. Yeah, talk about more about that theology of friendship, okay. though. What, yeah. are you, what are you thinking around that so far? Okay, well, I think we need another podcast on it. But, yeah. But, but I, yeah, yeah, but I think it's a good question because uh, people might have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's quite famous as a German theologian from the Second World War. Mm. And there's a guy called Andrew Root who's written a book called Bonhoeffer the Youth Minister or something like that. And in that book... He talks about Bonhoeffer's view that community should be incarnational in that the community should be present in the broader community. And books like Andrew Root's focus on Bonhoeffer's theology of family and how we are a family. But it's really interesting that later in life, Bonhoeffer also looked at church as a friendship group. And so when he looked at that, he was exploring how the category of friendship might help us to understand what God has made us to be as the church as well. And so the thing that I find exciting about that is in Australia, sometimes the category of family gives people an excuse to be pleasant strangers to each other because your family could live all all the way across the country or even the world these days. see each other at Christmas, for example. Christmas, let's get together. Do our young people hear that the local church is family and think, cool, I don't actually have to be in close relationship with everyone in the church? Like kind of just wondering. Like identify that as the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I'm thinking if you say that we're all friends, that's kind of maybe helpful because people go, oh, friends have the same mission. Friends are uh, seeking to be close and have deeper relationships. Now, people push back and say, 
but I can't have friends with the whole church. That's too hard. But what I'm investigating with Bonhoeffer, he's, he has three categories of friendship. He has personal friendship. He has – now, I can't remember the terms off the top of my head. I'll have to go back and look at them. But I'll fix it for the next podcast. I'll find out. But it's personal friendship. Then it's – I think it's group friendship. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's the, the whole church friendship. Yeah, that's helpful, hey. It's really helpful because what he then does is he says, you don't have to be best friends with everyone in the church, but you don't have to be only friends with one person or a small group of people because a lot of people go to church and look for their friends. So going to church for a lot of people is like going to the movies. When you go to the movies, you don't think that you have a relationship with everybody else in the room. You're there with your friends in the midst of that big group. But if you take on Bonhoeffer's categories – you can have a closer relationship with a few people and you can have a best friend even, but that doesn't mean you can't be friends at a lesser degree but still deeply with a whole lot of other people too. Mm. So that's the space I want to explore next year. Like what does it look like to have friendships in that sort of gradiated fashion? Now, we've talked about this before in the podcast too, but Jesus is an example of this. So Jesus had James and Peter and John as his three best mates. But then he had his 12. And then around the 12, he had 72. And around the 72, we think he had about 120 disciples in total. Right. Near near the time of his death. Now, the crowds would come too, so that was a number that would breathe in and breathe out. But, yeah, you've got this sense that because Jesus is best friends with John and James and Peter, doesn't stop him being incredibly close with 12 and with 72, he's friends with them too, and then he's friends with the rest of the group. So I'm really interested in unpicking that together as a as a church in Sydney because friendship might help us to think of a category that's actually very servant-hearted, and that's what Bonhoeffer argues for. He says that we should be thinking that discipleship is costly – not easy but in a world where a lot of people are consuming church as individuals mm-hmm. and for example like people go to church and look to see if the church is very welcoming they'll test the church and if they don't get spoken to they'll say oh the church isn't very friendly but i've often thought about that and i thought yeah i kind of get that to a degree but when you go to a local soccer club if you just walk into a soccer club and you just walk around no one's going to talk to you if you want to talk to someone you go and talk to them And then if you leave a church and then sit back and wait to see if anybody notices, well, if you've made the decision to leave the church, you've kind of left the church. And if you haven't told anybody you've left, you might be thinking if it's a good church, they'll notice me and they'll ring me up. It's kind of true, but then there's also a responsibility on the people who leave to say, leave well too. So I think think there's something there that I'm interested in exploring. And yeah, I think that's definitely true. What it makes me start thinking about is that uh, I wonder if you've had many conversations over the years about this kind of friendship idea and some people have maybe pushed back on you. Yes, saying that very we true. Are, I only want my close group of yeah, friends. Yeah, I just want a few it. friends, yeah. That's what I'm really interested in because that's something that I've perhaps grappled with as well. Is right. That I think uh, I love being part of Soul Revival and I think doing things as friends is really, really important. Yeah. I've learned that over a number of many years. But sometimes, even personally, I'm like, oh, but I do like having close friends yeah, too. Yeah, and yeah. And probably grappling with that. So I think that's yeah, why it's really yeah, cool that you're yeah, looking no. into that. I think the thing is, if you've got an open friendship group, 
mm. and you're open to be friends with other people mm. and, and love other people. Uh, I also, I've got to think this through, but I don't really like the 1990s TV show Friends, View of Friends, <laughs> because their view of Friends was we have a closed group and no one could get in. And part of the fun of the show was when other people tried to break into the friendship group, they weren't allowed to. It was kind of a bit quirky and funny. But I think deep down everyone's like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm like. I've got this small group of friends. I don't want anyone else to come. So how do we grow the church if we've got a small group of friends that no one else can come? So some of the problem might be demographic. We need need to have more demographics in our particular local church. But another might be how friendly are we? Are we friendly to people or do we treat new people? Do we treat new people as a potential new friend or do we treat them as a pleasant stranger and just be polite to them? Because I think um, I think that people are lonely and looking for relationships, and we need to point them to Jesus. And as we express our relationship with Jesus, we can see them through the lens of Christ. That's what Bonhoeffer says. So, see, friendship isn't about you and I have something in common. You and I are looking at each other through the lens of Christ. Jesus, is what and we have compassion with each other yeah. for each other, and so that's the basis of our friendship, mm. sort of. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I was sh- um, sharing on the podcast last week, I've just started a biography on Bonhoeffer. Oh, okay. And he decided he was going to be a the- theologian yeah. at the age of 12. Wow. He's just like, this is what I'm doing. But he actually decided earlier, but that's when he announced it <laughs> super to smart, his family. Super smart guy. And that's what seems to be the case from what I'm reading. I'm only up to the part where he's gone to university. Yeah, yeah. Berlin University, because that's where he decided to study theology. There were some well-renowned theolo- theologians there. And uh, yeah, he. they are all like, there were people basically at the university battling to try and get him to do their um his doctorate yeah with them that's yeah, how that's how yeah. that's how clever he was yeah when i read his doctorate i was like wow this is crazy <laughs> yeah. such a gr- great work he's so young mm. he's very brave man but yeah so that's that's kind of fun i, th- I think it's exciting because i think coming back to andy crouch he says that well in his opinion he thinks the most creative response of the church to cultural change is to be creative so that yeah. we contribute to culture not just either condemn it or critique it or consume it or copy it but we actually create culture so what does it look like to have culturally creative churches what does that look like what are some of the metrics for that what are some of the productions of that and yeah the the thing about friendship that i'm interested in is what sort of discipleship paradigm is that like how does being committed to someone low-key long-term relationally for a long term how does that affect how we disciple each other and how do we help young people to read the Bible for themselves? Mm. So, and that plays into something you've talked about before about there's different ways that people have been discipled, mm. and that plays out yeah. across the church. Yeah, for example. I think so. Yeah, and I, yeah, it's something that we probably yeah, like you said, we need to keep talking about. I think so. Yeah, I think than, so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, why don't we leave it there for this podcast? Cool. Yep. Thank that you was for, fun. Thank you for being on. I've missed being here. <laughs> We've missed you too. So, but Check yeah. out Magnum PI. Oh, yeah. Even a clip on YouTube. See um, what you think. All right. And Slow Horses. Slow Horses. Slow Horses as well. Next Wednesday. Every Wednesday. You know, the Shockers Over comes out on Wednesday. So if Ooh. you listen to the Shockers Over in the morning, and you then watch Slow, slow horses, horses that night. At the, end of the, at the end of the day. You might even want to watch uh, Tom Baker, Doctor Who. Some oh. of those episodes are terrifying, particularly <laughs> when he when he goes on some spaceship with, with massive spiders. Unreal. Oh, no I thanks. can never work out why the Daleks are so terrifying, though, because they can't climb stairs. Exterminate. Oh, yeah, I have so little knowledge of Doctor Who yeah. that I can't answer that for you. Sorry. No, there you go. Thank you for being on.
So yeah, one way. One way. Hang on, I've got oh, to do the outro. Sorry. Bit. <laughs> Demarcation <laughs> dispute. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening or watching. You can email me at joel at shockersorbit.com.au if you want to keep being part of the conversation, or chuck a comment in our YouTube channel or one under one of the videos. I will definitely see it. Shout out to Michael Greaves, one of our uh, long-standing members of Soul Revival Church who continues to comment on there. So thank you, mate. We appreciate you. <laughs> uh, but as I said, thank you everyone listening. Thank you to Stu. And now we're finished with the one way. One way? <laughs> yeah, one, one way. way. One way. <laughs> <laughs>